As St. Mark begins his gospel account of Jesus' life, he does so by describing Jesus' earliest ministry. And what Jesus says in Mark's gospel and what Jesus does is bound up with the proclamation of the presence of the king, and because the king is present, the presence of his kingdom. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' earliest preaching, and we've seen that Jesus preaches, and he teaches with authority, and he acts with authority, because he is the king who has come. And Jesus proclaims the presence of his kingdom, but more than just saying that the kingdom has come, Jesus shows that the kingdom has come. He shows what the kingdom includes. As we look at our passage this morning from Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 29 and going through to verse 39, we see that the kingdom Jesus brings has a culture of healing of service, and a connection with God because the king has healing and service and a connection with God. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He not only declares the presence of the kingdom, he shows what is included in the kingdom, and as the perfect citizen of the kingdom, he is and he does what all who belong to his kingdom are called to be and do. We can say that the citizens of Jesus' kingdom, then, are called to do what the king himself does, heal, serve, connect with God. In the first chapter of St. Mark's Gospel, he spends far more time showing and discussing the things that Jesus did more than he does what Jesus said. St. Mark offers two summary verses for us here on our passage today, all about what Jesus did. First, in verse 34 uh, of Mark chapter 1, St. Mark summarizes a single day in the life of Jesus. A Sabbath day, which began in the synagogue in Capernaum, moved into Simon and Andrew's home, and then as the sun went down and and the, the Sabbath ended, the day continues with Jesus healing many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Then in verse 39, we have another summary verse, a a wider angle summary verse as St. Mark summarizes uh, Jesus' Galilean ministry. He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then we have to notice, after that summary verse, Jesus, or Mark turns to describe two healings in detail in which Jesus cleanses a leper and Jesus heals a man who was paralyzed. So, why all this attention paid to the work of Jesus? Why all this attention paid to the healings that Jesus performed? Well, Jesus is the king. And the hands of the king are healing hands. And the kingdom is the place of healing. In J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings... There's this huge backstory and this huge hope for the rightful king of Gondor to return to his throne. The readers know what few characters in the story know, and, and that is that this character named Or Aragorn, or Aragorn who is a ranger, a, a wandering warrior, 
the readers know that Aragorn is the rightful king of Gondor. Very few others know that. He makes his return to Gondor known, this rightful king in exile, makes his return to Gondor known, not primarily through the defeat of the armies of evil, but through the healing of the wounded and dying. Aragorn, in disguise, enters into the capital city of Minas Tirith. He goes into the house of healing, and he heals three of his closest companions. He lays his hands upon them. And as he performs these healings, one of the attendants, one of the nurses there, repeats the ancient prophecy, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. I don't think Tolkien just makes that up. I think Tolkien is reflecting Scripture. I think Tolkien is reflecting good theology. I think Tolkien is reflecting the Bible. The kingdom of God made present through the coming of Jesus is a dynamic rule and reign of God in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. And as a rule, as a general rule, in the kingdom there is shalom, there is peace, there is wholeness. And because of that, the king is healer. These things, uh, uh, there are things that have invaded God's creation and thus have no place within God's kingdom. Things such as sin and sickness, evil, demons, Satan, and even death. They have invaded God's creation, and so Jesus the King returns into God's creation. He proclaims the presence of the kingdom, and then he invites his audience to come and participate through repentance and belief. And then Jesus goes about doing the things that the king ought to have done. He goes about doing the mighty deeds that the king was supposed to do within the kingdom. One of those things is healing. The king comes into the world that is rightfully his, and he goes to war against the illegitimate alien powers that claim it as their own. He wages his cosmic battle against the forces of sin, sickness, and evil. He goes to war against Satan. He undoes that which has been done within creation. He restores, he renews, he recreates. And that's what the healing is. Jesus' mighty deeds, his healings and his deliverance of people oppressed by demons are, in the words of N.T. Wright, the physical inauguration of the kingdom of Israel's God. These works of power and healing and deliverance are enacted parables through which the proclamation of the kingdom is made and through which the work of recreation is begun. And in this work of recreation, Jesus doesn't just come and say, hey, invite me to uh, live into your heart as if there's a mini-Jesus that hangs out inside the chambers of our heart so that I can save your soul. That's not what Jesus does. We have to see this. In this work of recreation, Jesus is not just concerned with the spiritual well-being of his people. He doesn't just say to them, your sins are forgiven, and leave them alone. We see that Jesus is just as concerned with the physical well-being of an individual as he was with the spiritual well-being of an individual. Why else does he raise the people who are sick? Why else does he cast out demons? Is it because he doesn't care about their body? No, the exact opposite. He cares about the entirety of a person and wants to see the entirety of the person in shalom, in wholeness, in well-being within the kingdom of God. And so Jesus proclaims the kingdom and he calls people to repent because we have to repent. But he also heals the sick and he casts out demons. He cleanses the leprous and he straightens out palsied limbs. Jesus makes the blind to see and the lame to walk. And he pronounces the forgiveness of sins. 
His mighty deeds announce exactly what his preaching announced, that the king has come. And in the kingdom, the forces of evil have lost. In the kingdom, the forces of evil have been defanged. In the kingdom, the forces of evil do not have the last word anymore. An absolutely amazing thing about the kingdom of God and about healing Jesus shares this ministry with those who come into his kingdom through repentance and faith. For example, in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, we read, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And then in Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The king and the kingdom have come, and Jesus brings, Jesus the king brings healing. And so the kingdom has a culture of healing. The king is healer, and the people of the king are called to heal in the name of the king. But what about when it doesn't happen? Why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? Weren't there still people in Capernaum who needed his healing and deliverance? Weren't there still people in Capernaum who needed the shalom of the king, and yet he left and went into Galilee? And what about us? We know that there are some among us for whom we have prayed fervently for physical healing, and yet, quite frankly, we don't get the results for which we think we've been praying. If the kingdom of God brought by Jesus includes healing, Why don't we see more healing occur? That's a hard question, isn't it? Probably not one you would ever hear many pastors actually say from the music stand they call a pulpit. We have to confess that we don't have a complete answer to this really difficult question. And I I will tell you that I don't, feel like I need to unnecessarily defend God. And I would tell you that I don't really have a good answer, and I don't want to offer some sort of Sunday school cheese ball answer that's just a cop-out. We, we can say a few things. Now, the first thing I think that we can say about why it is that not everyone receives healing, if the kingdom is a place of shalom and a place of healing, why doesn't everyone receive healing? I think the first thing that we have to say is, is this. If we do not see the healing for which we've prayed, it is not because God doesn't love us. If we do not see the healing for which we have prayed, it is not because God doesn't love us. The cross shows us the width, the depth, and the power of God's love for us. And we must be careful. I think the second thing to say is this. We must be careful about questioning our own or other people's faith if we do not see the healing for which we have prayed. We can't tell people, if you had just a little bit more faith, you'd be healed, as if, as if faith is some sort of currency that we can stockpile and then exchange for good and services with God. It doesn't work that way. The third thing is we should remember that while we may not see the healing for which we have prayed, God does love us and God is at work. He's doing something in us. He's doing something in, in those around us, and we don't have the full picture. I like the way Frederick Buckner put it. If God doesn't seem to be giving you what you ask, maybe he's giving you something else. 
If we're not seeing the he- if we're not seeing the healing for which we have prayed, perhaps it is that God is using the unresolved thing for the purpose of increasing our reliance upon him and his grace. Much like he did with St. Paul as narrated in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Ultimately, we recognize that the kingdom is still to come in its fullness. And perfection is still to come as the king returns. And then, then all of these afflictions and sufferings which have not yet received healing will pale in comparison to the weight of his glory. I'll share with you just a, a personal story about not receiving the healing for which I have prayed. Since the age of 19, I have suffered and struggled with anxiety and clinical depression. I've got some chemicals in my brain that don't have the right amounts. And so as a result, I've taken medication to help balance the chemicals in this peanut that I call a brain. During my first year of seminary, in a moment of transparency and vulnerability, much like this one, I shared my struggle with one of my neighbors, an older seminary student. He was married, and he had children, and so clearly he was more wise than I. Anyway, my friend told me if I had just had enough faith, Jesus would heal me. So I quit taking my pills, and I prayed for healing. Over the course of a week or ten days, my anxiety increased. The fog and the doubt of depression fell upon me. I ultimately was able to share what was happening with my pastor And he said to me, Caleb, take the pills. Pray for healing and take the pills. And folks, this is my only answer to those who have not seen the healing for which they have prayed. Pray for healing. Take your pills and trust the Lord. The kingdom is the place of shalom. The kingdom is the place of healing. We recognize that God heals miraculously. He can and he does. We've seen that. We recognize that God does and can use doctors and nurses and medication. It's called better living through pharmacy to heal. He can and he does. And we recognize that ultimately God will heal. The ultimate healing, this side of the return of Jesus, is death. We pass into his presence as we await the coming of the resurrection of the body. The kingdom is the place of shalom. It is the place of healing. It just may take longer and look different than we expect or than we desire. And here's a real point of challenge, I think, for us. The king is the healer, and his people are called to bring his healing to bear upon the world. So how are we participating in the work of the king? How are we participating in the culture of healing within the kingdom? The king is a healer, and his people ought to be about healing. And healing isn't the only thing in the kingdom Jesus brings. There's also service, and there's also connection to God the Father. Jesus' work of healing and deliverance was fundamentally service to those in need. The king was and is a servant who met the needs of those he encountered. And just as he shares of himself So he gives to those who follow after him the responsibility to serve. In St. John's Gospel, Jesus is recorded as telling his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. 
And then when the disciples talked about who was the greatest among them, Jesus replied, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And think about that while we read this verse, these verses from Mark 1. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And if we can, just for a moment, let's put aside the modern predisposition and pseudo-outrage felt at gender roles and notice something here. Simon's mother-in-law is a picture of discipleship. I would tell you she's the first picture of discipleship, in fact, found in the Gospel of St. Mark. Up until this point, Peter and Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they've responded to Jesus' call by following what we see here is a life changed by Jesus' grace. Jesus healed her. He healed this sick woman. He poured out his grace upon her and served her in this way. And after receiving this grace from the king, she turns and in her faithful and obedient response, she served them. Does she go and do mighty deeds in service to the king? It depends on how we define mighty. Simon's mother-in-law is not recorded casting out demons. She doesn't have a narrative of healing people. Rather, it seems as though the service she rendered to the king and those with him was a relatively simple service at table of hosting, of providing a meal. In the kingdom, then, with a culture of service, there is no such thing as inconsequential service when it is rendered in response to the grace of the king. Now, here's a challenge for today. How is your service to the king and his kingdom? The king is the servant, and his people are called to serve. How is our participation in the culture of the kingdom? The culture of service is found in the kingdom of Jesus because Jesus was a servant. A culture of healing is found in the kingdom of Jesus because Jesus is a healer. And a culture of which close connection with God is incredibly important, is a part of the kingdom of Jesus because the king, the king himself needed it. After an incredibly full Sabbath day, one in which Jesus taught, healed, delivered many, he got to bed late at night apparently, he needed rest. Jesus' ministry seemingly exacted a toll, and he needs solitude and rest found in close connection with the Father. And so we read in verse 35, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus rose early and withdrew from the crowds and from the disciples and entered into the presence of God, where he engaged in what the verbal tense of the word would indicate to be a prolonged period of prayer. Why? Could it be that Jesus needed this time away? Could it be that Jesus needed this time of close connection with the Father? Is it too shocking for us to consider that Jesus needed to be in the presence of the Father, to hear from him, to be restored by him? Is it too shocking for us to consider that Jesus needed time alone with the Father? And folks, if I could argue from the greater to the lesser for just a moment. If Jesus, the incarnation of the eternal word of God, intentionally sought times of close connection with God the Father for rest, renewal, and direction, then those who are not Jesus the rest of all humanity, 
need times of close connection with God the Father for rest, for renewal, and for direction. And the truly amazing part of this is not that we are built with the hole within us that only God can fill, but that God is willing to fill it. The most amazing part of all of this is that God has a willing desire to meet the needs of his people. And as we come to him for close connection, for rest, for solitude, for renewal, he meets us. And here's another challenge for us today. How is your time of refreshment and renewal in close connection to God the Father? The king was closely connected to the Father, and his people are called to enjoy that same close connection. How is our involvement in this aspect of the culture of the kingdom? King Jesus is a healer, and his kingdom has a culture of healing. King Jesus is a servant, and his kingdom has a culture of service. King Jesus is closely connected with God, and his kingdom has a culture of connection. Taking their lead from Jesus to king, the people of his kingdom are people of healing, service, and connection with God. And these things are for our good. And ultimately, these things are for God's glory. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and